Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. President Joe Biden held a White House celebration earlier today to tout a gun control bill that passed last month. Make no mistake about it. This legislation is real progress, but more has to be done. The provision of this new legislation is going to save lives. The new law includes stricter background checks, funding for red flag laws, and making straw purchases a federal offense. It also takes guns away from alleged domestic abusers. The NRA said the new law does little to address violent crime while putting unnecessary burdens on Second Amendment freedoms. Assault weapons need to be banned. That ban ended in 2004. Biden also said Congress should pass a bill holding gun owners responsible for improperly stored weapons used to commit a crime. To assess President Biden's speech earlier today and the new gun laws that were passed, we have Gun Owners of America Florida Director Luis Valdez. Luis Valdez, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back. Lewis, President Biden today took a victory lap on the bipartisan gun bill uh, that was passed in the wake of the Uvalde shooting. Uh, is this a win uh, for the country? Not at all. This isn't a win for the country. I think this is a step back on Second Amendment rights, especially in terms of individual liberty, because as we've already seen through multiple Supreme Court cases, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Yet here you have a federal government trying to do just that even after it's been proven that gun control is an absolute failure and in no way stops violent crime or mass shootings from ever occurring. So, Lewis, is there anything that you would have liked to have seen in this bill that would have made uh, sense to you? Yeah, as um, I've said, one of the biggest issues we have in the country right now is mental health. There is a social stigma on mental health. There's a social stigma on individuals seeking mental health. I really think what would have been proper is instead of tackling gun control with this, what they could have done is focus directly on the mental health issues we have in our country. We already have laws across the state, across the country in various states, like in Florida's Baker Act law, that says that if an individual has the means, the modems, and the opportunity to carry out a threat, they refuse treatment, and they have a history of mental uh, uh, health issues, then they could be detained for up to 72 hours and taken to the nearest mental health facility. The problem is we don't have proper public funding for that. Additionally, we don't have proper public funding for individuals to voluntarily seek mental health. And I think that would have been a far better thing for them to do than just to claim gun control would have been the end-all be-all band-aid to solve their problems, which in reality, as we've seen, it hasn't and it will not solve any issues. So it sounds like what you're saying is that this seems like kind of a slow progression to eventually taking away uh, Second Amendment rights. Um, is, is there a gradual pattern here that you see, or is that is am I seeing that correctly? No, you're very much seeing it correctly. There, this is the path that they're trying to use. Um, as we've seen, they want to restrict the the right to keep and bear arms to people under the age of 21, when traditionally being 18 was an adult. Um, but we, we see what they're doing with that. Furthermore, we see how they constantly revamp and, and reword laws and policies to make it much harder. One of the things that, Biden, that uh, Joe Biden said today was that 
you need a federal firearms license if you sell simply one firearm. Now, mind you, private sales have been legal since the founding of this country. Why, why is it all of a sudden that I, as a law-abiding individual, need to get a federal firearms license, a federal permission slip, if I'm going to simply sell off one of my own personally owned firearms from my collection because I grew tired of it, maybe I want to get something else, maybe I want to sell it to fund a vacation. You know, there's multiple reasons why people buy and sell firearms. But the fact that he's doing this is a way to go around the laws that we have on the books right now. And he's basically trying to outlaw the private sale of firearm, the private sale of firearms, which is a direct threat to firearms ownership. And it's also another way for them to uh, backdoor push universal background checks, which again, we've already seen in multiple states, especially in Illinois, where universal background checks are already in place and they in no way have prevented criminals from breaking the law. Now, it seems like in the Democrats' messaging, they're saying that the uh, high capacity uh, weapons, guns should not be in the hands of civilians. And, and this does seem to resonate with some on the left. Uh, what would you say to them? I'd say they're dead wrong, but if they want to put their money where their mouth is, they could get rid of all of their trained security. Biden could get rid of the Secret Service. Members of Congress could get rid of the Capitol Police. Elected officials could get rid of their state police uh, protective details. Because guess what? Every single cop that works one of these protective details, they're carrying probably a Glock 17 or a Glock 22 with a 15 or 17 round capacity magazine. Or they're carrying an FNP 90 with a 50 round capacity magazine or an Air 15 with a 30 round capacity magazine. So if they really believe that high capacity, which is a bogus term, by the way, it's standard capacity because that's what these firearms were designed around. But if they believe that that will reduce crime, then they can put their money where their mouth is. They can get rid of their protective details. But the reality is this, these firearms were designed for a specific purpose, and that is self-defense. Bad guys travel in packs. It's not like how it's portrayed in Hollywood, where you have one mass burglar breaking into a house at three o'clock at, at three o'clock in the morning. Usually, it's four to five armed vigilantes breaking into a residence, doing a strong arm robbery, and they're all heavily armed. And that is why people, the law-abiding public, have the full legal right to possess AR-15s with 30-round capacity magazines. Because guess what? Bad things happen when we least expect it. And when cops are needed, they're minutes to an hour away. Your self-defense is on you. Luis Valdez, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. There is concern over the erosion of freedom of speech throughout the country from the Department of Homeland Security's disinformation board, which was shut down after widespread public outcry, only to be rolled out and rebranded under a less suspicious name, now being dubbed a task force to address online harassment and abuse, to the concerns over censorship on social media. Another prominent space where the battle over freedom of speech wages on is on the American College campus. We spoke to Sharice Trump, executive director of Speech First. Here's what she had to say. Sharice Trump, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Sharice, there are multiple cultural, uh, social wars blazing, if you will, throughout our country. But I just want to ask you about what's happening on college campuses uh, with the recent overturning of Roe, trans sports, 
uh, a range of other issues. What has the temperature been on college campuses and are we seeing free and open debate, if you will? That's an excellent question because these are issues that students really do want to discuss and they're very passionate about it. However, they feel that if they have an unpopular opinion, which you know could even be a mainstream opinion, it's just not the mainstream on their campus, uh, then they actually are kind of afraid to bring those up. And that's something that at Speech First we really fight for. We really do advocate for students to participate in open debate and open discourse. However, oftentimes you'll see it's not just students shaming one another for having unpopular uh, opinions or ideas. It's actually the administrators who are implementing policies that will punish students for offending their own for their offending their fellow students who have different opinions of them. And what type of pushback are these students who are speaking out about these various things uh, experiencing in terms of their repercussions or what are you hearing? Yeah, a lot of what we work on is, uh, you know, some of the policies that are specifically designed to chill student speech. And so some of that is things like bias reporting systems or bias response teams. And these sound kind of complex and, and a little difficult to understand, but really what they are is anonymous reporting systems where the administrators are soliciting reports from students on one another that report on anything that's considered a bias incident, right? So it could be anything like offensive language, unwanted language, and the schools actually list examples like this as things that could be considered bias incidents. So it does target and openly targets constitutionally protected speech. And a lot of times, therefore, students aren't really sure what they're allowed to say or how they're supposed to respond to you know various debate issues because they could actually offend someone and then get reported anonymously to one of these systems. Additionally, there's many harassment policies that we've seen. And with that, with the new proposed rules for Title IX, it's only going to get worse. But the harassment policies we've seen that really target and chill student speech as well. They say you can't tell jokes or stereotype or basically anything that would be considered just a, a main comment or a mainstream opinion. It does seem like a pretty complicated uh, a subject when you're talking, mm. it sounds like you're talking about the indirect tactic of uh, universities creating a subjective environment, uh, encouraging students to anonymously turn in their classmates over yeah. offensive behavior. This kind of has similarities to the cultural revolution. Yeah, absolutely. The Cultural Revolution and, you know, what we saw in, in East Germany, it's very, very similar. And the sad and scary thing about this is students aren't using these, um, using these systems. They are reporting on each other. They do enjoy reporting on each other, from what I can tell. They're constantly submitting anonymous reports on the social media posts that they don't like, people who offend them politically. And the systems are being widely used. So, I mean, back when I was on campus, it was really unusual to, to kind of follow, look into the rules that existed on campus and try to follow them to a T and try to, you know, all the all these various different things with the, with the college administrators. It wasn't something that a lot of students wanted to actively participate in. But it's a completely different with this generation. It seems that they actually are utilizing these systems to, to silence one another and its actual goal of theirs. Now, you did touch upon Title IX for a second there. How has the debate over transgender athletes in college sports uh, played out on college campuses? Um, you know, typically more liberal there, but is there some pushback on this front? 
Um, well, I would say uh, the Title IX sides that I'm mostly concerned about have to do with speech, and I'm happy to dive into that as well. But on, on the transgenders in sports, I mean, this is something that students do want to actively debate and discuss on campus. Many of our student members have told us, especially in states where this is a hot, contentious issue, that they want to participate and you know start debates on this issue. Um, and they would love to talk about it more in their classrooms or on their campus at various tabling events. However, they know that if they invite a speaker on the issue, they'll get shouted down, probably get canceled, or the university will find some way to shut the event down. Uh, or if they bring it up in class, they know that they all of a sudden become a target in the classroom for any for the professor to modify their grades or to put pressure on them that way, or for other students to lambast them all over social media. And this is something that students are very aware of and they're worried about. So they don't want the social media the social media weight essentially on their shoulders. And they also don't want to, to have their grades suffer because of their opinions. So they're very cognizant of this and the Title IX issues are, are very concerning for them. On the free speech side, my biggest concern at this point is, you know, the Biden administration's proposed rules, they they openly, um, they open the door essentially for universities to curtail and restrict and discipline various forms of speech. And my concern is that this is going to be the start for compelled speech via the use of pronouns. Sharice Trump, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.